of faith lifted above your head and somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer and not just a hearer. And my life, come on everybody, and my life, one more time, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Acts chapter number two, verses number one, and Luke writes, and he says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was staying, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This interesting. God-fearing Jews. Yeah. But I want you to look at the response of those who have a fear of God. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our native language? Amazed and perplexed. Now these are God-fearing Jews, these are people who have some connection, some affiliation, some breath of God. But yet when God begins to move, they don't quite understand. They're amazed. They're perplexed. They're asking, what does this mean? And then there are some, watch this, who have somewhat of a connection with God. The scripture declares in verse number 13, Pop, however, they made fun of them. And they said they've just had too much wine. Now press pause just for a moment because what's happening in the book of Acts is not just a local thing. It's not just a church thing. It is, it is literally a dispensational change in the, somebody shout, in the earth realm. What God is doing in Acts 2 doesn't just affect the 120 that's in the upper room. It doesn't just affect Jews. It just doesn't affect the church. But it literally affects everything that's upon the earth. And there are some people that's getting ready to miss what God is doing unless somebody will stand up. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's time for you to step up. I'm getting ahead of myself. Unless somebody yeah, steps up and explains what it is that God is getting ready to do in the earth. Man by the name of Peter steps up, Acts chapter number 2, verses number 14. And the Bible declares, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Hmm. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Bear with me. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 40 declares, thank you, Jesus. Man, I feel like running. Slow down, Greg. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
Look at this man. Those who accepted his message because somebody decided to step up. The Bible declares those who accepted his message were baptized in about 3,000 because somebody just stepped up. Were added to their number. Father, I want to thank you once again for this opportunity to share the word of God with the people of God. I, I am honored, God, that you would choose a vessel, vessel such as myself to deliver a word. I pray that the words of my mouth, the very meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable in your sight. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says. A couple of weeks ago um, in our last series, there was a thought that I highlighted out of a book that I was reading by C. Peter Wagner called The Great Wealth Transfer. And I just want to reiterate some of those thoughts that I highlighted because they're relevant to where we're going in this next series Peter, he says that there are seven mountains of influence in the earth. And he gives this diagram I want to put on the screen here. He says that there is the mountain of religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and then finally business. This is what he has to say concerning these seven mountains. He says the church lacks cultural power because it focuses on changing the world within the church mountain rather than releasing the church into the marketplace to level, somebody shout, all seven mountains. He goes on to say, on each of these mountains, influence flows from the top down, not from the bottom up. Therefore, our objective should be to do whatever is necessary to position kingdom-minded believers at the top of each mountain. Time out for us demonizing people that are operating as pastors in their professions, as evangelists in their professions, as apostles in their professions, because God needs pastors more than just in the church house. Come on, somebody. There are people that need to be pastored on their job. Are oh, you with me in this place? On each of these mountains, influence flows from the top down. Somebody shout that again, top down. Not from the bottom up. Therefore, our objective should be to do whatever is necessary to position kingdom-minded believers at the top of each mountain. He goes on to say, taking the gospel into all the world is no longer a simple journey of geography. The world is a matrix of overlapping systems or spheres of influence. We are called to go into the entire, mm, that's so good, matrix and invade every system mountain with an influence that liberates the system's fullest potential. Now pause here for a moment. I was in prayer just a few days ago as I was preparing for this series and I knew what it is that God, I knew the direction God wanted me to go, but I like to have an assurance. I like to have uh, a rhema word of what it is that he's trying to say. And this is the word that God gave me for the people of God. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. I heard God say that I'm raising up new leaders in old spheres of influence. I'm raising up New leaders in old spheres of influence and understand what God is doing in the earth today. And, and indeed, it is in the earth. It's not just in the church. It's in the earth. And he is strategically placing believers in places of influence because at the end of the day, leadership is simply influence. Matter of fact, on some of you all's job, the, the leadership, I'm telling you, is getting ready to change. Why? Because the reason it's so messy on your job is because messy folk got influence. And God is getting ready to shift the influence on your job. And my word to you today is, you're a candidate for leadership. 
you are a candidate for the position of influence that God has that he's establishing in the earth. Can somebody say amen to that? So if I believe this word, and I do, I do because I see personal shifts in my life, not just in ministry, but also in business and other arenas that I'm involved in. I'm seeing a great, I'm, I'm seeing a great shift of, of influence and leadership. So my question to God is, what do I need to do to prepare what do I need to become? What, what qualities, what traits, what characteristics do I need to develop as a leader if I'm going to remain relevant in this generation? Because how many know you can be a leader today but irrelevant tomorrow? It's quiet in this place. If I'm going to remain relevant, what is, it, what is it that I need to develop in this hour? So I've been studying on this subject for a couple of months, not knowing that God was going to use me to actually teach and preach on this, in this particular vein. I've been studying on leadership for some time now, and I ran across this great book, and I want to recommend it to you by Peter Northhouse. It's called Leadership Theory and Practice. This is a secular book, but, but, but the principles in the book are, are firmly biblical, and in chapter number two of Peter's book, chapter number two focused on the traits of a leader. And in his research, this is what he does. He looks at leaders across all sectors of industry and, and government, military, so forth and so on. And he does a, a study to identify the foundational traits of a leader. So no matter what industry you're in, when you look to someone as a leader, what are the common characteristics or traits that this individual must possess in order to be, watch this, not just hold the title of a leader, but carry the influence of a leader. And he highlights four traits. Again, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Intelligence, self-confidence, determination, number four, integrity. These are the four foundational traits that he says that if you are a leader, you're not a leader if you don't, if you don't have these. If you are a leader, you just want entitled. But if you're one that, 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 that's going to influence individuals, these are mandatory for you to have intelligence, number one. Number two, self-confidence. Number three, determination for integrity. He says concerning intelligence demonstrated through strong verbal, perceptual, and reasoning abilities concerning their area of service. In essence, he's saying that you got to be competent. you got to know what you're doing if you're going to be a leader. The ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skill. Number two, he says, self-confidence includes a sense of self-esteem and self-assurance and the belief that one can make a difference. In essence, you won't be a leader long if you need everybody to encourage you. It's not that you don't need encouragement, but every time you come in, oh, Lord, Chad, I don't know if the Lord going to use me today. I don't know. I study, but I just don't know what God going to do. I won't be the pastor long. <laughs> Doggone, Chad. You just said nope. <laughs> Let me move on. <laughs> Number three, determination, having the capacity to persevere in the face of obstacle, in essence, as a leader, you must have a bulldog mentality that I refuse to quit and give up on what God has placed in my spirit. 
Number four, without question, integrity, the quality of honesty and trustworthiness, adhering to a strong set of principles and taking responsibility for their actions. So as I approached this particular work, man, I was excited because I want God to develop and strengthen these characteristics and traits on the inside of me. So, of course, the, the, the comment, the first question is, if these are the foundational, the bedrock traits of a leader, the, the, the easiest question or the next question is, how do I develop them? Now, this is a great book, but I was very disappointed at this part in the book. I, 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 want, you, I want to encourage you to get the book if, if you desire to study more in leadership, but I was disappointed in this part because this is what Peter has to say, and I wanted to hit him. Pete said, traits refer to a set of distinctive characteristics, qualities, or attributes that describe a person. They are inherent and relatively unchanging over time. Now, hold on now, hold on now. I believe God is calling. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I believe that God is calling me to do something great for him. He goes on to say, because traits are derived from our personality and are fundamentally fixed, this chapter will not emphasize how people can use this approach to develop or change their leadership. I just wanted to throw the book, but it was on my computer. I ain't throwing my computer. So you mean to tell me that you're going to highlight these traits, and I agree with these are necessary traits if you're going to call yourself a leader, but then you're not going to spend time talking about how I, as a person, can develop the traits that I need to be who God wants me to be. So this is what I decided to do. Since his book wouldn't help, I went to the book. <laughs> and so I decided to search through the scripture to see what is God's method of develop from taking a man from nothing to something. Taking a man from, I'm talking about on the backside of the mountain to a place of leadership where he's, he's commanding armies. And so I'm looking at Peter in the book of Acts chapter number two. When you look at Peter, you're looking at a, at a man who is confident bold. He's competent. He has a body of knowledge. He knows what he's talking about. He is determined. You ain't finna shut him up. That's, that's what the, the scripture declares. The, the, Luke didn't record everything that Peter said. It was so much he just said, and with many other words. <laughs> that means that my man had a body of knowledge when it came to what he was talking about. He had a relentless attitude and he had sound judgment of where he was in God because he understood what God did on the inside of him. That's where he was in Acts chapter number two. But what I want to show you, or I want to highlight for you is where he was prior to Acts chapter number two. The book of Luke chapter number 22, verse number 31, the Bible declares, And the Lord says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. Verse number 33, and he said unto him, look at, the, look at the, the supposed boldness of this man of God. I am ready to go. Somebody shout, I'm ready. Say it again, I'm ready. One more time, I'm ready. Peter says, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, look what Jesus says. I know you said you're ready. The cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. 
chapter 22, verse 55. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, <laughs> I don't know him. Get on over that little servant girl. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, you better get up out of my face. I said I don't know him. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly, hold on now. One, one text says, your, your speech betrays you. You talk like him. Talk about thus and thou's. <laughs> about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you talk. I can hear him saying just like, man, I don't know what you talking about. <laughs> now, now watch this. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, now look at 61 and 62. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. <laughs> now, 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 now let's, let's, let's look at the context. The context is Peter, Jesus having a conversation. I ain't leaving you. These other boys might forsake you, but I ain't going nowhere. Jesus says to Peter before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. All right, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. Then they take Jesus. They beat Jesus. They strip Jesus. And while Jesus is being beat, Peter is being tested. And at the end of Peter's test and Jesus is beating, they make eye contact. And he remembers. He told me I was going to deny him. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept. If you're taking notes, I, I need you to drop this down, jot this down. Listen, before you, before you write, look at me. I'm telling you right now. Some of y'all are going to leave here not liking me. But you're going to love me, though. <laughs> you gonna, some of y'all are going to be like, man, I wish I wouldn't have came to church today. But I'm glad I did. Because I'm going to help you. Because I love you. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Affliction is the womb of growth. Affliction. It is the womb of growth. You ever wonder why you had to go through certain things that you had to go through? Or maybe yet, even worse, you wonder why somebody else ain't going through what you're going through. Because I did a little dirt, but I ain't do as much dirt as them. Lord, I think we got the wrong trials because it's like you having mercy on them and you dragging me through. Do you remember how we displayed out because I know them. You, maybe, you, maybe I need to inform you of what they did so we can switch trials. 
I'm telling you today that God has a master plan. Ooh, let me say it plainly. There's certain things that you won't get from God in seminary. There's certain things that you won't get from God in a lecture. As great as the retreat was, the reality is, Brother Jones, it's actually certain things from God you won't even get in a retreat. Because growth, the foundational place for it, is in the womb of affliction. And the book of James, chapter number one, verses number two, James right pop some crazy stuff. James smoking some. He got to be, I'm telling you, my man don't have something. Because he's he going to say something that's a complete oxymoron. It's ridiculous. It don't even make no common sense. James says, chapter number one, verse number two, consider it. Everybody just stand up and just clap and just smile while you're clapping. I said, stand up. Clap. Give me that sm crazy. Ah! <laughs> All y'all sit down. You sit, sit down. Sit down. Now, James says, I want you to do that. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> I don't know why Jessica jumped out at me. Everybody was up clapping. Jessica was like, I don't know what that is. That's, that's the new dance. Watch, they're going to be doing that on videos. <laughs> Consider it. Now, no, 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 we, we do know what trial is now. <clears throat> We're we talking about tribulation. We're talking about trouble. We're talking about hard times. He says that I want you to consider it pure joy when you find yourself in a situation where you're faced with many trials. Verse 3 declares, because you know that the testing of your faith, put, somebody shot is working something in me. When you and God, no pain is wasted. When you and God, I'm telling you, no pain is wasted. In God's gym, he has a way of using the, the testing of the world, the trials of the world, the affliction of the world, and he really does work it together for your good. James says when you find yourself in, ooh, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Some of y'all focus on, this, on the wrong stuff. Now, if you're going to work out and you're going to work out for a long time, you can't focus on the soreness of the day after. You got to focus on the picture in your head of what's going to happen to the muscles after the soreness heals. Are y'all with me? He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what, y'all? Perseverance. Let perseverance, somebody shout, I got to finish this one. Say it again, I got to finish this one. Because some of y'all, again, praying the wrong prayer. You saying, God, take me out. When God is saying, you need to be praying, Lord, take me Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything because there are some things that you will not get in school. There are some things, as, as much as I love preaching and as much as I see the benefit of proclaiming the gospel, there are some character virtues and traits you won't get across the pulpit, but you will get it in the fire of affliction. Hmm. Hmm. Let's go deeper. Hebrews chapter number five, verse number eight. The Bible declares, son though he was, 
he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, pause for a moment because we're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about God manifested in the flesh. What does God need to learn? What, now for real, come on now, what, what character traits really does God need to develop if he's God? I'll tell you the character traits that he needs is the one that he's never adhered to because Jesus humbled himself. And if he's going to humble himself, there's a character trait that he's going to need that he's never needed before. Because if God is God, who do he need to obey? Y'all missed that one. So the father says the way that I'm going to produce this in my son, he won't get this in a lecture. He's going to get this in the fire of affliction. He's going to learn this particular trait. Watch this from the things that he suffered. Verse 9 again. Somebody shout, I got to finish this one. You got to finish this. Once made perfect, once he was finished, hmm, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Let's dive deeper. Hebrews chapter number 12, verses number 5. Bear with me. I got to lay a foundation, y'all. The Bible declares, and have you completely forgotten this word of, somebody shout, God is encouraging me. He's going to, the writer of Hebrews says that these are words of encouragement. Have you forgotten them that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Everybody shout the Lord's discipline. The Lord's discipline. What is the Lord's discipline? God uses the afflictions and the trials of this world to train you to be the man or the woman of God that he desires for you to be. Let me just preach that just for a moment because there are some of you all, oh, can I say that? Oh, no, don't say it. Don't say it, Pastor. Don't. I got to say it. There are some of y'all that are whining about where you come from and you don't realize that you're as strong as you are today because of where you came from. Say it plainly, you crying like a wimp because what you went through. But had you not went through it, you would be a wimp for real because the trial actually strengthened you. Can somebody say amen to that? So God is using the things of my past to strengthen me, to try me, because he wants to produce traits on the inside of me that I can't get nowhere else. So it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. I rebuke quit now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke it now in Jesus' mighty name. I was listening to a, a motivational speaker some time ago, and, and he, he, was, he was talking to this, this college student. He says, he says, look, man, I'm, I, I just need some, I just, I just don't know what to do, man. It's, it's just hard for me right now, and, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just suffering right now. He says, man, I, I, I got I to gotta go to work at, at such and such a time, and then I, I come home, and I got to study. And after studying, I got to get up at a certain time and go to class. And I've been doing this for a couple of months now, and it's just, it's just hard on me. It's just hard on me. And, and the, the motivational speaker said, so, so how, how much longer you got to do that? He says, man, I got to do this for... I got to do this for six more months. I'm suffering, man. I got to do this for six more months. Can, can you help me? Can you give me some encouragement? He said, yeah, I can. Keep suffering for six more months. I mean, what you going to do? You finna drop out? You, you finna drop out now? You been, ooh, you mean you've been suffering all this time and you six months from a, a degree? You six months from the jump start in your career? You six months from, from, from stepping into what God has for you and you finna quit now? Somebody shout, the devil is a liar. 
Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone. He accepts as his son. Somebody shout, God is doing this because he loves me. Rome, come here, son. Rome, Rome, come here, come here, come here, come here. Quickly, 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 quickly. Beautiful baby. Baby boy, right? Baby boy, that's what I'm talking about. He, he said that proud. Yeah, yes, sir. Good. Beautiful baby. Just, just stay right there. Watch this. Ho hold him up, hold him up. Now, y'all don't lose focus. Put him back down. <laughs> okay, so. Is the baby cute? Baby's cute. God says the baby's cute too. But you know what God also says? What's the baby's name? Jeremiah. <laughs> God loves this little cute baby too. But God says, I love this baby so much that I refuse to leave him like he is. So you know what this baby is going to go through? He's going to go through what's called growing pains. My son, my son had the same thing. My son, he was like a, uh, he, he went through this growth spurt. And I believe Greg got tall by faith. Greg is like, what, 6'2 or 6 something like that. He got tall by faith because he was a little short something. All the way through middle school and he just overnight just shot up to whatever. And his bones used to hurt all the time. And he would complain, Dad, I don't know what I'm doing. My, my bones hurt. Dad, my, my joints hurt. My knees hurt. My legs hurt. I'm just hurting all over. And so I was concerned. I'm like, man, what's going on with my boy? I took him to the doctor. He says, oh, it's just growing pains. The type of growing that he does hurts. But I need it to hurt now because you're going to be thankful later when you're on the basketball court. And so God has this beautiful baby boy here, so sweet, so loving. But I even got to take this baby through a process. And some of you all feel as though you, I want to help. I want to help. Well, if God loves me, he wouldn't allow me to go through this. The reality is because God loves you, he is allowing you to go through it so that he can make you into who he wants you to be. Thank you, sir. Can somebody say amen right there? So the scripture declares, hmm, verse number seven. Let's look at Hebrews 12 and seven. Endure. Somebody shout endure. Somebody shout, I got to endure this. Now, now, understand, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about trials. Abuse needs to be reported. <laughs> I'm going to say that one more time. I ain't talking about abuse. My pastor told me to take it. The devil is a liar. I ain't doing no funerals. Somebody whooping on you, unless that's your daddy. <laughs> Somebody whooping on you, that needs to be reported. I ain't talking about, mm-mm. But there are hardships that God allows us to go through. And some of us are asking God to take us out of the hardship. And God won't take you out because he's using the hardship for your good and for his glory. So somebody shout, I got I to gotta endure. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes, Discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Nine declares, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Stand up, Pop. Y'all know how many times I said under my breath, I hate that man? 
Man, I show hate you. I 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 said it a lot. I ain't never said it to him. I ain't crazy. I got good sense. But the same thing I used to say I hate him for, I actually thank God for it now. Because his discipline and his correction made me to be who I am as a father today. Thank you, Pop. So nine declares, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, the Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, he says, and do it. Okay, so let's, let's do this. Let's do this. So here it is. Um, Acts chapter number two, you got this mighty man of God that is he's confident. He's bold. He's competent. Integral. He is who God needs him to be for this particular moment because we got a situation that's happening in the earth. God is moving, but we don't have the leadership in position to facilitate what God is doing in the earth. And I'm telling you today that revival is getting ready to break out again. Hmm. The type of revival that's getting ready to happen is not going to be a local church revival. It's not even going to be a body of Christ revival. It's going to be a global revival that spans against every sector of race, industry, denomination, nation. I'm telling you, it's coming. So this is what God is doing, Pop. God is shifting people in position and strategically setting them there because, watch this, the first is getting ready to be last. And the last is getting ready to be first. If you in the valley, God says, stay there. Why? Because every mountain is getting ready to be brought low. <laughs> and every valley is getting ready to be made high. I'm telling you, there is a shifting of leadership and influence in the earth, and you are a candidate for it. Peter was a candidate all along, despite his deficiency in his character. But God says, I know what you need in order for you to be who I want you to be in the earthly realm. I want to ask two Peter, but right now I got a Luke 22 Peter. I want a confident Peter. Right now I got a cowardly Peter. I want one that's competent, but right now I got one that's just a know-it-all. So what's the method that God is going to use to translate my man from being this unintegral, this incompetent, this weakling to be the man of God that we see in Acts chapter number 2. And Luke chapter number 22, verses number 31. 
The Bible declares, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, I'll be honest with you. If I'm having a conversation with Jesus and he talking to me like this, look here, Greg, behold, <laughs> my man Satan, he wants you. <laughs> oh, I'm cool with that because I know you got me, G. <clears throat> surely you got me. I know the devil wants me, but surely you're going to protect him, protect me from him. Surely you ain't going to let me. Him touch my man Job. Surely you won't do that. Surely you won't allow me to go through trials and tribulation. So I'm in great anticipation as to what God is going to do to let me, to affirm in my spirit that he ain't going to let <laughs> Jesus. Let me tell y'all something. So I got diagnosed with COVID in uh, June last year of, of 20, 2020. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was the last person who thought that I'd get COVID. I'm just being transparent. You know, y'all might get it, but I ain't get it. I'm the man of God. <laughs> I'm the man of God. <laughs> I ain't finna get no COVID up in here, you know what I'm saying? I cast down COVID now. <laughs> so I was sick. I felt sick Sunday after church. I was on the couch and I was shaking, <laughs> shaking. <laughs> I got up and I went, man, 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 man. Get up, go to the mailbox, check the mailbox. Shake this thing off for me. Get that mail, coming back to the house. <laughs> My wife said, Honey, you need to get tested. I said, the devil is like, I ain't got COVID. God wouldn't do this. I'm telling you. I started prophesying to myself. I hear God saying, I'm not going to do this to you, my servant. <laughs> I was making up prophetic words. <laughs> and um, we, we had some friends that had came in town around that same time. So I felt obligated that, you know, if I do have it, which I don't, <laughs> I need to let them know. So I'm like, I'm going to do this for you. I'm gonna get, I, I made sure my wife know, knew. I'm getting this thing stuck up my nose for you. So I went down there, and I'm talking about, it's like that woman said, you ready, Mr. McGee? Are you ready? Ah! I'm a man, but I just thought I cried. She came back 10 minutes later, and she says, you tested positive. I'm like, hold on, God. <laughs> this my allergies. I ain't got no COVID. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand because it don't make sense. I was, I was never supposed to get it. I was never supposed to get it. And then, after I came through it, you know what developed in me? It developed a passion and a compassion for folks that was going through it. Because I started remembering how down I was. And the, like the, the, the flu-like symptoms, that only lasts for a couple of days, but man, it was, it was at least a good month. I had no energy. So if I'm a man that's down, I'm a man that has no energy, and there's certain things that I like to do and can't do those no more, 
So as a friend and as a pastor, anybody who you know they got COVID, man, you need to step up. Compassion was birthed in me, not because of what the doctors educated me about COVID. It was birthed in me because of my experience of going through it. Here's the real question that you need to ask God. What are you trying to birth in me by the trials that you're allowing me to go through? What are you, what are you birthing in me? <laughs> I didn't tell my wife what I was preaching, but I started to pick with her real good. I really did start to pick with her because, because my, my apostle, Apostle Beard, I love you so much. We got married January 15th, some time ago, 2000, yeah. And um, I remember like three months, like it was horrible for like, it was just horrible. And I went to Apostle and I was like, hey dad, I think I made a mistake. <laughs> I think I made a mistake. And he looked at me. He said, son, let me tell you something. For the man of God that you're going to become, you need this pressure that you're going through right now. You need this testing. Let me tell you how, Rome, stand up again. Just, just stand up. Don't wake him up. Let me show you how desperate God is in his lascivious love for you to say, I love you how you are, but I see a man in this baby and I ain't gonna stop messing with you until the man stand up on the inside of you. So anything that I can use to cause enough necessary pressure I'm going to use it. If I have to use your marriage, I use it. That's why y'all, when I said marriage retreat, y'all like, yeah. <laughs> I feel you. I walked up to my wife this morning. I kissed her. I said, I love you. She's like, why you say it like that? I'm just saying. <laughs> if I have to use your children, I will use them. If I have to use your job, I will use that. Oh my God, if I, were you, if I have to use your neighbor that won't put their dog up. <laughs> I will use your neighbor who's selfish and won't put their dog up. <laughs> As a, you do know how pearls are produced. They're produced by an irritation that gets on the inside of, and that irritation causes something beautiful, God is making something beautiful in you. The scripture comes to mind, Pop, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cloth. Why? Because his focus was on what God was making, not what God was allowing. And y'all praying too many prayers, God, why me? And God is saying, why not you? Come on. How many of y'all don't pray the prayer, Lord, use me? Lord, raise me up. 
God, I want to be more bold, Lord. I want to be. <laughs> the thing that you pray in, God has allowed the necessary trials to develop the thing that he knows you're going to need. So Peter, I see an Acts 2 Peter, but right now you're just a Luke 22 Peter. And this is the transformation. Although you've walked with me for three and a half years and you've seen my miracles, yeah, you can, y'all sit down. He's still sitting, nah, that's, a, that's a brother, right? That's obedience. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. <laughs> And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan have desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. I'm over time. Here's Jesus' response. But I have prayed for thee. Now, I don't know about y'all. How many of y'all would be a little bit disappointed in Jesus? That all, you, all you did was pray? I mean, you didn't punch the devil? <laughs> you didn't karate chop him? You just prayed for me. Okay, thank you, I think. He said, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. So in essence, you're going to go through it, but you need to stand through it. This is why I want you to stand through it. Look at the part B of that verse. When thou art converted, when you finish with this trial, when you finish with this, somebody shout, when I'm finished. You're going to finish. I'm telling you, you're going to finish. You will not go through that. Ooh, you won't go through that forever. You will not. It is seasonal. But the season is necessary. So when thou art converted, what did he say? Then you will be in a position, Brother Shugart, where you can give strength to other people. Freely you have received, freely you give. You can only give what you yourself have received. And I want to put you in a position where you can be a giver. But in order to be a giver, you first need to be postured where you are the one who actually needs the strength. God is raising up new leaders in old spheres of influence. And the things that you have been going through in your past are the things that were necessary to prepare you for who you are. By the same token, the things that you're going through right now is not meant to break you, but to make you. And these are the things that are necessary to prepare you for who God desires for you to be. So this is what I want to do. I, I want to, I just want to pray for, um, I want to pray for struggling, weak, discouraged. I want to pray for the brother today that finds himself just in the many trials. You might have thought about quitting, giving up, turning back. I want to pray for that sister today. Find yourself in just a desperate situation. I don't even know why I'm going through like I'm going through, but I am going through. God wants you to keep moving forward. It's amazing how we start praying about the second coming when we start going through. <laughs> he gonna come any day. Come today. <laughs> Get me up out of this mess. He's coming. But there's some work that needs to be done before he gets here.
and he's chosen you.